For almost a decade on my TV show, Interview with Ed, I've been interviewing extra-dimensional beings and consciousnesses from a number of different realms. Many of my questions have been answered, but with every answer comes more questions. Join me on my ongoing quest to find out who are we, why are we here, and where are we going? All right. Indigo Angel, welcome to our our little private club here. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm excited to come and chat with you and talk with everybody. And um, that's so awesome that we were kind of crossing paths before we even realized we had that connection with Z. So um, that's just so synchronistic. And I love that. It seems like all of the dominoes are kind of falling into place. And it was a great experience with Z. We came together and did the womb healing container coursework. I have brought forth an extensive implant and um, tag removal system for the divine feminine. So each one of us that participated in that container kind of brought forth our own expertise and just made this overall umbrella of healing that we were able to offer to about 400 plus women. So it was it was really successful and it was amazing. And I was really excited to share it with everybody and Nice. So yeah. Well, we definitely want to get into that and uh, sort of get to know you because this whole portal thing is still kind of new. I've sort of been going more into re-interviewing old guests. So most of uh, our audience here have already been through sort of the the introductions phases and got to know some of the channeling. So there's many channelers who come on the show many experiencers and, and many people like yourself and Z who we had on uh, recently who are just have this connection and are able to um, yeah. tune in, so to say. So uh, so a little bit different is because we don't really know much about you. My audience doesn't. I've been following your stuff uh, of recent, but I, I kind of wanted to spend the first hour just sort of to uh, get to know your work and get to know who you are, how um, how you got into this type of works, and then uh, and then we can open it up to to our audience. So we're we're in uncharted territory uh, this week with our weekly calls, which is uh, fun because this is how I wanted to do it. I wanted to mix things up, and and we'll have other guests, new guests, and things here. And this is a great uh, platform to do it. So, uh, first question is, um, how did this start for you? How did you start? Tuning in, um, I, I know you're more of a sort of a conscious ch channel or, or you don't go into a deep trance or anything, um, but this world of, of understanding and feeling the ley lines, talking to other beings, uh, connecting into this extra dimensional reality, can you give us a little background on how it started for you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Well, it all really feels like it was something or a deeper knowing from childhood, most definitely. I think I was a very, mm, just, I was very aware as a child um, of things that I felt like the adults weren't aware of. And I was also very sensitive um, as a child as well. So, um, you know, fast forward around 2013, I did go through a pretty intense spiritual awakening um, mine was really through um, a near-death experience and also um, 
for my immune system crashing. I had a lot of immune system breakdown at that time for about three years. That was really intense, which really broke down my spiritual shields. Um, Later, I come to know to find out that it really broke down my carbon-based structures and was allowing me energetically and spiritually to um, become more holographic and become more crystallized in my DNA and my structures. And so I was accessing spirit at a whole different level from that point forward. Um, I remember holding crystals and just the spiritual experiences would be so profound. Sometimes I would be just, you know, a couple hours in this meditative state where I felt very outside of my body, where I was just continuously downloading um, higher dimensional information, knowledge, understanding, clarity, wisdom, just a constant stream of it. I would have spiritual embodiment phases where I would feel spirits actually walk into me like Archangel Mother Mary. And I think that was all divine and a part of my healing, but um, I kind of learned how to attune to energies and um, activate to them, um, invoke them. Yeah. So, so for example, when, when Mary came in, how did you recognize that it was her energy? What was the, if, especially in the early phases, if this was sort of new and, and you have different energies coming in, do, do they declare themselves this when they come through or how do you, how do you recognize that? Definitely. Yeah. Because I, prior to that, I wasn't really aware of mother Mary at that time. It was through my emotional body and very clairsentious and have developed that into clear cognition. Um, but essentially, yeah, it was kind of like I'm Mother Mary and I am now inside of you. I'm inside of your body and you are now her and I'm going to um, basically energetically upgrade me. I walked around as Mother Mary for about two weeks. I believed that I was her. And um, wow. I felt like everything that I was speaking, everything that I was saying, that it was her words, her energy, her strength. And um, so, yeah, it, 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 I just knew. I knew right away Mother Mary was inside me. So it's... Um, and, and that it's kind like, of... Yeah. And that, that happened with, with other beings as well? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've kind of learned over the years of how to attune to those energies now, call upon those energies, invoke those energies, work those energies, if I so um, sometimes even desire to work with a spirit or um, or an ascended master or an ultra terrestrial or an extraterrestrial, whatever it may ultimately be. Typically, if it comes into my field, it's because I am meant to work with that energy. Um, there's something in my mission or information that I need, or there's something that is vital in terms of my own personal evolution and sometimes collective messages that I need to share. So they will come and guide me to certain things, activate me to certain things, tell me to go to certain places. Some of them tell me to go to Egypt, you know, um, and, you know, do certain things there. So, I mean, it just depends. Yeah. Um, Many of the channelers who've been on the show before kind of have their go-to being, which is the 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 
what they're used to and and to initially get into the channeling state they they uh they connect with that being first and then from there uh the door opens and they can sort of meet these others do you have is that work for you that way or do you just go directly to whoever i'm kind of at a level now that i think a lot of my mm-hmm. information is just direct electromagnetic imprint and stream from omnipotent source like i'm just did not connected right into source energy so i don't typically go through um other beings to bring forth information um but i do have i guess a spiritual um group of of, of supporters that i i work with energetically or feel that they are guides to the things that i do um and also that um I honor and also sometimes even put offerings out to and things like this to, to work with their energy. But yeah, um, I've kind of gone more, um, grid worker in the things that I right. do in channel. Um, I think my evolution of my spirituality has gone from wanting to work with others and channel information for others and have this more of this human interaction. But I felt like once my consciousness went more galactic, um, and became more quantum cognition, um, I started to embody higher levels of consciousness, what I call avatar consciousness or planetary logos consciousness, which allowed me to see deeper into planetary holographic architecture. And so now I'm channeling more of the matrices that are inside of the Earth's body and defining more of what it is to be a grid reader a grid worker a grid keeper a gatekeeper all of these things right they're all kind of mean similarly the same thing um yeah let's go let's go let's go in that direction because um it seems to be a theme of late uh with with uh obviously with your work you you're sort of really going deeper than i think anybody else has uh with the with your vocabulary and your understanding of of these grid lines, but many people of late, in fact, I'm doing a full, you know, TV show documentary series on um, uh, the Mitchell Hedges crystal skull. And we're going around taking the skull to the different spots and activating spots. So it's, it seems uh, of, of late, many uh, light workers are, are getting the call to Z mentioned as well in her interview to, to, uh, to go to these spots and uh and activate that can you go into that work a little bit more for our audience i know if you're if any, whoever's following you knows uh what you're doing of late but just many people uh this is the first time to your work so yeah sure no problem um yeah definitely i mean there's de- many different missions that grid workers hold um, I think it's really helpful if you kind of know your indigo type. So if you consider yourself to be a star seed or you consider yourself to be an empath or a crystal child or they're all kind of under the same umbrella, so to speak, I like to define them by indigo type. Um, and so um, it helps to know your indigo type because it kind of tells you what kind of a light worker you are, where are you working in your ascension capacities. Um, indigo type ones have typically been known to um, be the grid keeper, the gatekeeper, the the ones that are working 
um, within the Earth's architecture. And it's because what happens is through their ascension, as you become an indigo type one, you attune to higher levels of your DNA strands. So you're going from a 12 strand carbon-based structure to a 48. So within that, you're refining the diamond structures within your body, which allows you to embody more of the Earth's holographic templating. Therefore, to read it kind of like an internal mapping system um, that becomes more defined. And that's how I realized all of this within my own work was mm-hmm. that I started to channel and create diagrams of internal stargate systems, internal mapping systems, internal structures inside the earth, how they're all interconnected, how we can use these as portal structures and gate systems and actually navigate through our own interdimensionality. But this is kind of what indigo type ones eventually evolve into in their highest state of their evolution of their indigo type. Um I think most people probably wake up around an indigo type two templating or an indigo type three templating. Indigo type twos are our spiritual healers. They are our shamans, our medicine people. Um, They're the ones that are here to really evolve the first through the 12th strand of the DNA and actually regenerate or restore or rehabilitate the bioenergetic field of the light body within the human spiritual original organic templating um and then and, and, that, the en- and that original organic temp- templing is that goes back to you you talk about the lemurian mu era or even further back well yeah definitely it could go further back um in terms of defining that history like the hyperborean root races and the polarian mm-hmm. root races most definitely i think this is when we had the first development of the earth's spiritual identity body i don't think there was maybe much human form here but there was definitely an evolution of what would be earth-based star seed consciousness like the phase the elementals the dragons the naga serpent primordial lace races and lineages these were you know the first chromosome types here that came in during those time frames um, but then I think that the original human organic templating seeded um, in the timeline of Mu. Mm-hmm. And this was through um, particular. So this is if you go according to starseed consciousness, starseed belief and starseed consciousness will activate grid worker consciousness. Um, but starseed consciousness is the belief or the understanding that, you know, extraterrestrial races, ultra-terrestrial races, stargate systems, the intelligence field from these star systems were the basis for the development of human evolution and civilizational um, seedings that came here um, into the earth. And so my understanding is around the time of Mu that the Pleiadians and even the Arcturians and the Lyran systems, which are the ones coalitioned as guardians, mm-hmm. came here and seeded this consciousness into those dragon and serpent lineages and upgrading the chromosomes to a higher level of consciousness. I see. So, yeah, I was going to mention Lyra because um, I've heard many times through through my other working channelings that they're sort of one of the root races for humanity. Uh, obviously, Octarians and Palladians as well, but like going way back, like it, it seems like Lyra was the 
the originators of, of human consciousness. Well, that, they're, that yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're one of many for sure. One of many. Um, I think there's definitely um, quite a few um, more are well known and there's a lot of less known systems. I call them the occult systems um, that play a huge role in the seeding of humanity as well. They're just not as well known of definitely the Draco system. Oh. Um, I do feel was one of the first primordial cedars here on this earth, going back 500,000 plus years on this earth. Um, so yeah, Lyrans as well. I mean, there was a huge Lyran war in galactic history, right. um, oh. where there was an invasion of the Draco system into the Lyran system. And then many of the Lyrans were displaced, um, and became refugee races also, um, became new inhabitants in the Orion system, um, which is then where most of the galactic warfare has played out and is still playing out to this day. Um, oh, still to uh -huh. say, wow. Well, let's go back to the, um, uh, the indigo types. And um, you, you, you got into type two, and I'll try not to pull you away, but that, there's so, you, you drop so many nuggets during your, whenever you speak, <laughs> that it's, I'm like, I want to go there. I want to go there. So... I'll try not to, I'll try to stay focused on, on the one subject, but, um, I'm going to interject and, and, uh, go down some of these streams. It's okay. It's fun to go down the streams. It is fun. <laughs> yeah. I get lost in them too. Sure. sure <laughs> I'm like, sure. where are we going? We could go, we're multidimensional. That's the fun thing about it is right, sometimes right. some things don't even have to connect. We just hop to the next thing. We're in another timeline. Well, you do a great job of connecting so many things. So that's that's why I, I uh, I'm sort of like I have this opportunity. I'm like, oh, let's connect that. Let's see if that works. And, you know, so and your work is vast, and you cover, you know, what what just the short amount of time we spent here, twenty minutes, we've covered like enough to probably for for a long <laughs> while. But let's keep going. Let's keep going, and let's go back to our indigo types. You said type two is the shamans. And uh, mm -hmm. is there a type three? Yes, there is a okay. type three. Um, these are the ones that kind of act as a bridge between light and dark realms. They, you know, transmute a lot of polarity and duality laws for themselves and also for the collectives. They're more of spiritual warriors and justice fighters. They work in high levels of alchemy. Um and their job is to really restore and rehabilitate more of the degraded genetics and soul lines, such as like the Nephilim, the reptilian lines, the Anunnaki lines. Um, you know, may even go into like the Zetas and, and Greys. I heard from the Galactic Federation that they were trying to rehabilitate Greys now. So I'm like, oh, great, new news to me. Um, but yeah, so it's really, they're here to reverse the anti-life architecture. They're here to reverse the reversal codes that run in people's bodies and the worship of death culturalism here on the earth. And so they have one of the strongest and most difficult missions. They're often usually under high levels of spiritual attack mm -hmm. and infiltration. And um, a lot of indigo threes ultimately evolve into an indigo type one. Indigo type twos typically stay sometimes within that framework of their consciousness and what they're meant here to do in terms of their mission. But threes will often be propelled into a one mission and it is because they hold rescue missions here. 
Um, they're the ones that are able to go into more maybe degraded gate sites in the earth, navigate artificial and man-made stargates and reverse that for the, the planetary body. So they can work on the behalf of the planet's spiritual body. And um, so, yeah, Indigo type threes, they are our toughest cookies. Yeah, um, I was going to say it sounds like on the ground foot soldiers yeah. uh, of this whole thing. Um, is this more of a uh, per incarnation or is this like a, a, a like that a soul group or a soul mission that continues over many lifetimes or is this kind of what one lifetime at a time kind of thing for these indigo types in terms of multiple lifetimes of grid work i'm not too sure um it's the technology honestly that i've only come into my awareness over the last four years um so my studies of was i doing grid work in past lives um potentially and maybe um, I'm starting to kind of see that there is a new indigo type that's coming online. I call it an indigo type four. Um, and it's where they have the ability to um, basically um, bring forth a lot of future prophecy. They have the ability to really anchor galactic realms here into the planetary body. And because of that reason, it may be something that may be um, something that is learned over lifetimes and is just inherited as a consciousness that she reawakens you again. Um, I think that some people are conscious of those indigo type templatings as they're growing up, um, unconsciously manifesting life paths that will propel them and already kind of doing it, right? Um, such as like an indigo type one, they might have been, you know, traveling all their lives or taking career choices that allow them to travel or, you know, incarnating into a family line that their family is in the military, so they're constantly moving all the time. Just certain things can come up that would um, give them some sort of um, clarification that they were an indigo type one all along. Um, but then for some people, I think it's about waking up to that and it's a new activation and it's new in their awareness and their consciousness. And then they're activated by it and they're propelled into mission and they just start, you know, taking it on and and walk in those guardian codes which is actually about taking on a parental role on this earth um all indigo types are technically born with their sixth strand of dna activated it might be dormant in their level of consciousness that they're able to perceive that that's what it is right mm -hmm. like me as a child i was just like i was just a very sensitive child i felt everybody's emotions and i you know i was um always felt people's pains and ailments. I always wondered, like, why can I see why that person has back issues and they're hurting here? And, you know, it's like you really can see what somebody's ailments are. You know, that's wow. me being, having my sixth gen activated and just not being aware of that. Well, what, what type are, are you, I was going to ask? Do you know? Um, I consider myself an indigo type one. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Do you think most people who are sort of aware of well, I guess it's you just mentioned there's this different different types. I wonder I, I wonder, I'm curious to our audience uh here. Well maybe we can get into that when we open it up. Uh, yeah. What 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 indigo types are you able to see the types of uh, do they like auras and things? Do they do they exhibit a certain color or 
energy signature? Uh, they can definitely, yeah. The ores um, would be um, definitely different. I think if you're an indigo type one, you're probably going to be more working with then different creational rays and different creational spectrums. So different chakra systems will be activated according to that and probably expand more within the auric field to be most identified. Mm-hmm. Um, indigo type ones, I'd say, are really within the purity rays. So they're probably going to be more white ray based. Um, indigo type twos, these are good questions too. It's just making me think. Um, yeah, yeah. Indigo type twos would be... Um, more green right because they're more healing um they're going to be also probably more violet because there's a lot of transmutation um indigo type threes will probably be with working within the blue ray spectrum and um because that's kind of the i want to say it's like the protective energies the protected fields of the astral levels and layers and the auric fields so they would be uh, probably more within those currents and streams of intelligence, according to primal light color spectrum and how the universe connects sure, sure. through that. Well, let's go back to the grid work and the <clears throat> ley line stuff, um, since that's sort of the more recent aspect of your work. Um, recently, you, you, you did a great uh, sort of explanation of like the Georgia Guidestones. And, uh, and, and all of the funniness that, that, that goes on there. Now, is that like an artificial, uh, grid line or is that some, a grid line that's been hijacked? How, how do, cause we have in our history, uh, even, you know, when the Spain Spaniards, uh, went into Central and South America and destroyed the, uh, indigenous, um, uh, villages and stuff, they would, you know, rape and pillage and then, um, build their churches on top of the sacred sites intentionally to to capture some of that energy um is it uh is the georgia guidestones in that type of thing or how do uh, what's your um, interpretation of, of that yeah uh, the georgia guidestones i did a couple deep dives on that did a remote view also went out to the site to kind of just feel the energy and right. pick up on the land i also want to go back to it because i'm almost thinking that there's an open wormhole there now that they impacted it um that they might have been imploding into the nuclear energy because i was seeing that there was like wells of uh nuclear pockets of radiation that was up underneath the shaft of it because there's a shaft like a lunar shaft that goes all the way down from the stones wow um, but I think it is a man-made and artificial gate site that is was running reversal codes, 5D reversal codes, um, propagating and upholding collective fields of consciousness that would be connected to, you know, depopulation and um, transhuman agendas, um, all of these things. And so, yeah, I think that there was a technology that was utilized by those that were holding the nefarious agendas, negative agendas. Um, and that was to place them interdirectionally, um, to function, operate off of particular energy goods or current systems that are flowing from, I think it was the trajectory was like the North um to the west corner or something like that i was 
I had it all laid out in my update that I did, but um, yeah, tapping into the currents in the fields of the universal grids that are already running to pull in energy. Um, and then I also think that there was a huge, you know, energetic control overlay that was connected to that site that was connected to all of the military bases, mm-hmm. um, the nuclear submarine radiation stations down in the lower parts of Georgia. Um, yeah, and you then mentioned I also, that. You mentioned that too. I've been down to um, uh, Cumberland Island. I don't know if you've been there or visited that place. And um, I used to go there. I was working on a Star Trek TV show. And uh, every time it was the st- stage was located there. So I would go there and do ceremony. And the energy there was just super intense. So it's it was a nice synchronicity when you mentioned the base because the base is just right off the coast there, and it just made sense uh, the energy that I felt on that island, um, and it was just like connecting all these dots for me. So thank you for <laughs> for helping with that. Yeah, of course. I, I it it blew my mind too. To be honest with you, once I really kind of dived into it, this is one of the hats I wear. I like to be kind of like a investigator, spiritual detective, I call myself, um, and kind of map out, you know, what are all the energy systems that are running here? What's the encryption of everything and how is it all interconnected? I think one of the big things that I noticed with that and why I tied it into nuclear radiation so much Mm -hmm. was I think that there was open portals or wormholes that were connected to other degraded nuclear waste sites on the earth, such as uh, Fukushima right. and um, Chernobyl. Right. Um, because if you even look at the area of Georgia, you know, they have one of the largest nuclear radiation plants that is right next to the Georgia Guidestones, not very far. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, the connection to the nuclear submarine. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at the time, just the planetary activations that were happening, I was really tying in all of that uh, nuclear energy um, into souls and spirits that were kind of getting trapped in the space-time continuum. Mm -hmm. And so that they were coming in fragmented um, through those nuclear portals. And then this is just one of the ways that warfare overall collectively is generated i mean if you look at what was going on with russia at the time um i believe they were you know trying to take over some of the nuclear sites for some of their warfare zones and things like this so it's really interesting how you just start making all of those connection pieces um well it um i mean definitely in the in ufology and 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 that's sort of my start was in the in that from that crowd and moved into where we are now, but um, it's sort of unanimously uh, believed that with the launch of the Trinity bomb in, you know, 1945, that that opened up the portals and uh, at least set, you know, set off the, the warning signs and, and we had many ETs and, you know, craft obviously we're here prior, but they really started to show up around then. So um so it's all it's all connected for sure. The, the, yeah, it sounds like you're a grid worker. It sounds like you're doing grid work. Yeah, I, I'm following the people who are doing the grid work, and okay. I think that that's why Z reached out to me for your guys's project. Um, and perhaps uh, you know, we, you know, not to put any spoilers out there, but uh, uh, we might be working in the future on doing some grid work type. Uh, it, they make for great shows, you know, for like travel shows. This, the new travel shows of the future are 
which which energy spot has you know the most intense um energy and I think that's such an amazing idea and I think I think it's the new um the new wave of of the higher consciousness community of what's really um important and what's most activated in people right now um I can tell you that if you could capture that on video, just the power of these Stargate systems. I went down to Machu Picchu recently. Oh, right. And um, I was so, because um, I love to go and study Stargate mechanics. I think that's probably at the root of my passion is what do these Stargates look like? Can I interdimensionally tune into them? Can I see them? And I started to realize that each Stargate on the Earth is completely different, different architecture, different geometry, different ways in which it's held and sacredness in the land and um, the alchemical and, and biospiritual exchange that's happening is so unique and diverse. You're going to get a different experience at every Stargate you go to. Um, and I think as you're a grid worker, an indigo type one, you know, you go to that Stargate, you get and gather all of that evolutionary information and you might not even understand what all of it means you just know you're being upgraded your light body field's being upgraded you're being activated and then you take that information and then you're a conduit you're a transmitter so they take yeah. that to another system or another gate site or um to someone who needs the information and then that's how we work as a spiritual network of a collective that is just intuitively healing the earth and healing humanity and it's really an incredible thing that we're able to actualize this and speak about it now i mean right, right. well speaking of sort of the reason i had to push the call to today instead of yesterday so yesterday I went out to the integratron are you familiar with that uh device in that area in in uh near joshua tree california uh it's a it's a very um it's a very intense uh, uh, ley line spot that uh, became famous in the 1950s because of a uh, visitation from um, several visitations, but one more famous from uh, a craft that had landed on the on an airstrip. Actually, it was a, 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 a sort of a not an official airstrip, but this guy named uh, George Van Tassel used. He worked with Howard Hughes, and he uh, went and created his own airstrip out in the middle of uh, the the California desert. And um, it's a very powerful giant rock. is is this big rock that uh, indigenous did ceremony with, and um, a lot of prophecy around it. But he actually lived underneath the rock and uh, was awoken one night when he had a visitation. So we went there, and then the his story is, is amazing because the guy, uh, he, he, there's, he said it was, they were from Venus. We know Venus is a portal for other beings to come through. Um, and he, uh, had a triangular amulet that then pointed to this crystal mountain, which is just right a, a few, a stone throw away from, from giant rock. And, uh, it started glowing and beaming and all this information, I guess, was being downloaded into, the uh the et's amulet um but anyways that spot you can go there and he built this he got downloaded uh or, or told to, about this device to to build uh and van tassel built it he built the integratron and over the years it's been 
um, sort of deactivated in the, he, he was trying to do some Tesla type technologies and um, it's sort of been shut down. So it was just rotating, floating, rotating disc around a counter, uh, rotating magnetic fields. Anyways, the, the, but the device itself, uh, the energy is still there and can be activated. And we were doing some of that work yesterday. Um, so I just wow. didn't know if you, you had that, if you knew about the Integratron and then that leads uh, me into the question of, uh, you had talked about the Trons and um, Metatron, Integratron. Um, and I found out yesterday the Integratron name was given to it afterwards. So I don't think Van Tassel had given the name, the Integratron, um, and that could have been some other energies coming in to, again, to take over or try to hijack that spot. But even if it was hijacked, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. We're going to go do some more ceremonial work there, but the energy is off the charts. Like, I'm not that energy sensitive and I felt the energies. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's interesting. It sounds like it's restoring the Tron, the Integratron, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, the way I have seen the Trons, um, at least from the deep dive that I did um, with the CERN update that I did, was that they were extension um, pieces of the beast machine, essentially, um, or machines that are in the earth that are designed through negative and nefarious agendas and particular race lineage and, and lines like, you know, Draco Anunnaki lines, um, Tothian Luciferians, you know, all of these different groups and organizations that have um, been building the beast machines really since I think this goes back to the Egyptian Sumerian invasions um, where I think that these trons and these cerns and these megatrons and these cyclotrons and synchronotrons and that they've been, this technology is a lot more ancient and older than we actually realize um, because I think these are tech, these are amnesiac technologies, amnesia wiping technologies. So we wonder why we can't remember things. Um, I think they've been degradating and manipulating the biomagnetic field of the earth for quite some time. And I think this is, comes through the development of those machines. Um, and really biohacking the Earth's biospiritual architecture and also going deeper into the rod and staff of the Earth and getting into pole manipulation, weather manipulation, weather modification, all the things that, you know, HAARP is doing mm -hmm. um, and the CIA and all that stuff. But Well, um, is it, do you think it could be, for example, Van Tassel, he seems to be when he created he his original intention as he describes it was this would be a uh, a healing device that people would uh, walk into and spend just a few minutes and do sort of walk around and get get healed and then go out and then it would sort of recalibrate and we were tapping we were playing some frequencies in there yesterday and trying to tap into some of of that energy mm -hmm. um however again uh that natural energy of the planet, uh, and, you, and you said uh, it's interesting because they did, did. He did go deep into. There's a aquifers, three uh, aquifers that sort of 
uh, intersect and interject. And if you put a compass there, it just goes crazy because there's no the the, the energy. It's so interesting. Psychically, as you were saying that, I was picking mm-hmm. up on the stone of destiny. That has something to destiny. do with the stone of destiny. Something with the moon as well. Um, because when you said the bra- the breastplate, I immediately seen that kind of in the hands. Oh, I, did. I didn't say breastplate. Oh, Sorry. you didn't? Okay, yeah. then I must have been seeing it in my head. I must have yeah, seen a breastplate. I was seeing like a breastplate that was being given or was being um in terms of information that it was of some sort of um activation from the core of creation. Um and carrying the the stone of destiny within that. That's just yeah, kind is, of that just kind of came destiny? through. Oh, okay. Cool. All right. Um, More investigations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really connected to Samiria and Enki and Enlil. And I think it comes down okay. through the Anunnaki bloodlines. Um, and that it was kind of at the core of the warfare of creation, planetary warfare and creation when it came between Tiamat and Maldek or Marduk or the Nibiru systems. Um there's just so yeah, many tangents there you're throwing out. <laughs> More tangents. Let's back up though. Go back to the Tron. So this we asked Z this. Uh she wasn't super familiar with this, but there's um and I sort of gave my understanding of the time, but the in your work and you just said it both Metatron, there's sort of a, a negative aspect to mm-hmm. these energies as well as a positive. And I'm wondering if you could sort of define that and explain that, how you see those energies. The, particularly if those, you know, Hermes, Metatron, we, we these are the sort of the right, same right, Enoch. Right, right. We keep, we know that these energies are overlapping in many ways. Um, but then in your work, and in, in, in also, uh, I forget her name, the lady out of Florida who wrote so many books that are really expensive online right now. Um, Ashana, Ashana Dean. Yeah, Ashana Dean. She yeah. talks also about the uh, uh, sort of the negative metatronic energies. Could you define that a little bit and go into that? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I'm a huge student of Ashana Dean and mm-hmm. also Lisa Renee. Um, and so that's, you know, kind of at the core of things I definitely like to look into and reference for my own personal exploration of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. I have sought out a lot of other great minds and great literature and great work, and I've tried to decode these great mysteries of Metatron and Toth Mm -hmm. um, because it is um, very polarized um, Mm -hmm. in the perception, definitely. Um, I do feel that the story with Toth is that he originally... Um, corrupted the emerald tablets, basically. Um, corrupted them. And, uh, he didn't create them. Um. Well, no, he brought them forth, basically, them forth. and okay. all of the information within it. Um, and that this was somehow um hijacked with energies that basically was a great disillusion or a great deception over humanity, and therefore, um brought forth the um kabbalistic like jewish mysticism like they've actually like taken it like this was the development of what came from those teachings um and that this brought forth a um 
capped version of ascension capacities because it's based off of a 12 or a 10 sphere uh, universal tree of life, which um, installed some sort of cap or some sort of limitation in the ascension capacities and also redefined the universal tree of life structure, which is truly like a, tr- a 12 tree um, Christic um, organic structure and basically tainted and, and, and redefined that and then kind of made humanity believe this is what it was and, and in turn that capped consciousness. Um, so it was mm-hmm. kind of like a great deception. Um, and then from that birthed, you know, archons and more aspects of the Illuminati or, or whatever that came from that, um, mm-hmm. under all of that, um, to basically breed and feed portals into shadow, shadow realms or fallen systems or fallen realms that are, um, uh, what's it called? An entropic system. So they're not, um, able to keep expanding. Um, and they're basically all running off of the artificial flower of life system. Um, which is where the meta, which where the metatronic invasion exists. So the metatronic parasite is that artificial flower of life, which is the entropic flower of life, which is inverted, um, which doesn't allow consciousness to keep spiraling out. Um, and, and is this the flower of life with the, um, uh, 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 what do you call it? The, the two rings around it that are keeping it, uh, enclosed. I think you were saying before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. R- really what I was looking at it the other day, trying to kind of take a step back from these belief systems and just look at the structures themselves. Right. Um, it seems that the, the old flower of life, um, do you have, I don't know if maybe you have a picture of it. Um, or something. Uh, I can pull something share. up here. Yeah. Um, I think they just, pertain to the third dimensional field that that flower of life any any geometric form is basically going to hold shadow because it is reflecting light um so i think that's what this metatronic perception could ultimately be about is that the geometry itself is holding reflections of shadow um therefore opening us up to you know darker systems or wormhole systems or the shadow realms fallen wisa systems um, yeah, so um, this would be more encaps and entropic in the third dimensional field, holding more uh, inability to expand the true nature of how energy flows within the Earth's body. Right. Um, and that- and, and the, it's traditionally with these two rings, but we there are more. There's other depictions of it that don't have the rings um maybe for example this one it sort yeah of goes like in, it goes infinite it's infinite infinity and actually we were playing yesterday with uh, different frequencies and uh in cymatic frequencies that uh, uh yeah there's definitely no ring around it so that's that's very interesting that you had sort of mentioned that that ring could be sort of a ca- capturing of the uh the energy yeah i actually d- um delved in and kind of channeled the original tiamat grid structures um i created a diagram for it it's on my website andagoangel222.com um 
yeah, if you want to pull it up, but basically I kind of was channeling what this core fifth dimensional creation structure. So if you go under my blog work Mm -hmm. and then if you, yeah, click anywhere or yeah, there we go. The TMI grid. Yeah, that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen this one yet. This is new. Interesting. Yeah. So you can see the inner core here. Um, Mm -hmm. The hexagonal shape um, inside of there would be the halls of Amenti or the hall of records. I put the reflection of the entire universe, but it's basically like the super consciousness field of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have that hexagonal structure, which is really definitive of our carbon structures. Um, right. And also hexagonal is just um, very... Um, defining of life and the flower of life and the fruit of life the seed of life Mm -hmm. um and it's very just compatible with expansion and then so then we have the emanation of the true universal tree of life that's an evolving living life field that's um flowing around the core of that honeycomb matrice um which i'm calling that is like the tiamat's 5d inner body of earth now what i think is happening in the earth right now that this is actually superimposed with that artificial universal tree of life so it's this this structure connects into all of the mother arcing systems it connects in all into all of the 13 transharmonic stargate sites on the earth all of the stargate sites on the earth and runs the spiritual basis of our planetary spiritual immune system Mm. i think that metatronic parasitic energy or invasion is um stuck in those structures and is limiting the flow of the sophianic consciousness here on this earth and um that's kind of where i think it's held energetically according to what i've channeled and seen just doing my uh grid worker thing where i'm tuning into it but um yeah so it's it's really interesting. Sorry. I I lost my page here. Let me go back to. Um, <laughs> so, so Tiamat. Can you explain what Tiamat is? Yeah, sure. So this goes back to planetary creation um, and the story of how it goes. That we had an original universe, and in that original universe, there was only Tiamat, the Sun, and Mercury. Um. And this was like the original, the original universe. And then um, we had the Marduk, or you could call it Maldek, or even I think Mibiru. I honestly think they're one and the same. Um, okay. But um, this system came in, um, and it was a it was warfare a between or the planet. moons. It was a planet. Yeah, planet. because it, that's the. It said that the the asteroid belt was is it, the explosion of 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 um marduk not marduk sorry um well maybe it is the same tmi um, yeah i think it's TMI, i think yeah. it's both i think okay. it's both fragments from both of them um but i believe it was a warfare between the moons tiamat had 11 moons mm-hmm. um marduk or nibiru had moons as well so it was the moons that um imploded into tiamat's body um which mm-hmm. And the remnants from that celestial warfare became the asteroid belt, like you just said. And then what was left to Tiamat actually became the core templing of our Earth today. So this would be like the original uh, body of the Earth. 
and this was how our Earth was formed. Um, and then the largest moon of Tiamat became our moon. So the moon we have today stores and holds all of this memory to the original creation. And this is why I think, honestly, the warfare comes through lunar energies. Um, you'll see mm. that a lot of things are associated to um, when you think about things that have been hijacked or taken over. We talk about the moon chains. We talk about the imposter races, the nefarious races, the invader races, and how they're using the chains of the moon or the entrance points of the moon to come in. All of this, I think, comes from ultimately um, the warfare codes of our how this earth was originally created. Um, and so all of that memory is still stored on the moon. And so it's really clearing our collective uh, core original world wounds um, through the lunar aspects. Well, many people say the moon was brought here in, in as opposed to... Uh, um, naturally forming uh and then many people say you know the moon is artificial there's a satellite it's a satellite or and then there's ideas of um of uh, uh some sort of soul capturing device so there's a lot of different theories and ideas around the moon uh yeah. which one resonates with you the most uh, the, no i definitely I've definitely i've definitely explored them all the saturn okay. matrix mm -hmm. um I think it's still a great mystery, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, I think that we're, and this comes up so much. This comes up all the time, like people wanting like clarity on this. And right, right. Um, I'm just not sure maybe we're ready for it um, mm -hmm. or there's still karma in the timelines collectively that we're still shedding to further understand more of the moon's participation here. And, um, but, um, we definitely do know that it plays a huge role in women's reproductive cycles. Yes, and... this is true. <clears throat> yep. Well, yeah. and just, I mean, the influences of it on earth are just incredible in so many ways, not just in with this, all the cycles, like all, any, any yeah. type of cycle. It seems like uh, the moon is involved. Um, going back to the quickly, the, again, so we're all over the place on this one, but um Going back to the the Metatron, you said portals into the shadow. Could it be just offering a different perspective? Could it be uh, instead of shadow portals into our world, uh, creating light portals for their world? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm open to all potentials. I mean, right, right. Um, I I've even heard that you know the Earth is the shadow realm and that the true invaders are the light beings that light invaded earth like earth was a dark matter body right and that the light that came here was the invading force and so mm. you know the races that were here living in that shadow like the draco races and mm -hmm. you know the original primordial cedars of the earth were then invaded by the star seeds invaded by right you know the the people who came from the stars and so that's why this earth feels so dense to us and it doesn't actually feel like home mm -hmm. because we're not this isn't our original home this isn't our original planet and right. the races that were here were this more predatorial aggressive subterranean culture right. um 
And so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting to to think about it like that, but then. Yeah. yeah. Well, because I, I think what, what came up when we were talking about Z is that so many people who have tuned into the Metatron energy, uh, including, so it, for me, <clears throat> my for, my sort of first experience into these other realms, I did this uh, thing called a Phoenix bath. I was very much against any kind of mind-altering psych- psychedelics, which I'm not now. I'm totally in that camp. But um, at the time, I was like, I, I got to do this as natural as possible, even though it was kind of the same thing. And I, I did this <clears throat> hot pepper bath where I it was, it was for detoxing and, and cleaning your body, but also it was probably the most excruciating, painful experience I've ever had. Uh, and I've broken bones and done, I you know, career stuntman. So that's sort of my, um, my MO is, is dealing with pain. And this was excruciating, but, uh, it all, it was so excruciating. It it blasted me out of my body. And, um, and I had a dialogue with Metatron. Um, and it was sort of like the first type of awareness that I could even have a conversation with Meditator. Like I, yeah. Yeah, I had been meditating and doing uh, martial arts for many years up until that time. And, uh, um, uh, and I knew that these things existed by reading and, 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 and talking with other people, but I hadn't had my experience until that time. So that was, but the energy I felt at that time and continue whenever I tap into the Metron energy is this very loving, expansive, um, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, angelic in many ways. So, uh, so it was, it just intrigued me when this, this sort of negative Metatron yeah. concept came through, it was like, what? Uh, so that's, uh, so I, I'm started sort of, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but just to go back into that this yeah. conversation a little bit. Well, I kind of wanted to maybe tell you a little bit, some of the research I've done with it. So one thing yeah, yeah. I've come to see is that i feel like it has something to do with the king of solomon and some some sort of mm-hmm. hijacking their super imposition that came in through him and elisa crowley and yeah, yeah, yeah. um the greater and the lesser keys of solomon um one thing i noticed is if even if you just try to like research the king of solomon you'll get a lot of pictures that will come up online that will actually metatron's face superimposed over king of solomon oh so wow. um it's just there's something hijacked that came in through right. that. I don't know where or exactly how in history the 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 pinpoint fabric point, but I know it's connected to that. And I think right. also to the whereabouts of the Ark of the Covenant and what they're doing with that. Um where do you think it is? Jerusalem? Uh, well, um Ethiopia. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, I know that thread. All right, I know what you're talking about. I, I follow that thread a little bit. The one of yeah. the uh, uh, one of the like an Ethiopian king or queen? Queen was it? Queen of Sheba. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Queen of Sheba had a child with King of Solomon, oh. and his son was supposed to have been the one that held it. Um, and secrecy and Ethiopia. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's actually a new eighth wonder of the world. There's actually like this underground temple. I think it's going to be a new man-made Stargate, honestly, because that's what I'm picking up on it energetically. But there's a new like underground temple in Ethiopia that's just being excavated right now. That's 
Uh-huh. Kind of a big deal, but might be connected to the Ark of the Covenant. What I've actually kind of seen okay. with the Ark of the Covenant is that it's transcended into a portal passageway into the Andromedan system. So um, I mm. think all of the areas that it once which existed because it was so powerful that it created activation zones in those locations and areas and created and filamented into streams of celestial and cosmic passageways that um, is where, honestly, the energy may have been coming from all along or energy was being released too, but it, I think, was opening up to greater um, streams of cosmic int- intelligence fields, definitely. It was kind of a portable portal, right? The Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and, and and with that on that stream, uh, let's go into the skulls because uh, you've mentioned them in some of your talks, but we've never had the conversation, and that's sort of my work right now. What's your take on the uh, the crystal skull phenomenon and and uh, the thirteen, the legend of the thirteen skulls? Yes, well, that's such an exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I what I've what I've gathered is that they were um, p- potentially all together at one point in temples down in the Bermuda Triangle, um, in the time of Atlantis and during the time that Atlantis and Lemuria, you know, separated and the grid fabrics kind of uh, went on their way and and um, things were. Um, imploded and dissolved into the Atlantic Ocean. Um, essentially, Merp Priest took those to the women of Isla Mujeres, um, the Isle of Women, and gave them to the Mayan grandmothers to keep them in safety and in secrecy. Um, and that they are an actual spiritual living library of information from the Atlantean time that was encoded um, with mm-hmm. all of the spiritual knowledge and records of that time. And that um, I think what I've heard is that the it takes like a, a particular priestess that was a descendant of those bloodlines that has the activation codes and the actual knowledge in song um, to go through to like hymn of certain rhythm that can actually open the skulls up. Um, yep, that I've resonates heard that with parts what we've been doing. Okay, is it? Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have heard that they might actually be being held in Machu Picchu or one or two of them might be in Machu Picchu that now they're kind of unknown in, in multiple disclosed locations. Um, that's about as far, that's about as much as I know about the 13 crystal skulls. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, that's a good, uh, some good cross-reference of some of the data sets that I've been playing with on on my journey with this uh this film project so and it's you know like the moon it's a great mystery that we're still uncovering so that's uh we can't have all of our presence up front otherwise what would we do we would not be having these great conversations about you know the mysteries of the universe um if we already knew them all so this is part of the fun i'm gonna go ahead and uh you know i know we covered a ton of stuff and so anybody who wants to dive in and start asking some questions, I'm going to keep the conversation going, but uh, raise your hand and and uh, don't feel shy and whatever thought line or, or conversation we're on will we'll interject into your to your questions. So so please guys raise your hands and start asking some 
questions. So the, uh, going back to the skulls for a minute, the, um, the, the, you said the 13 grandmothers and the Mayan grandmothers, is that, uh, um, that's pre, is that, that sort of after the fall in Atlantis? And, and that's, that was sort of, you think the designate, they were sort of given to the grandmothers for safekeeping until we got out of the, the fall now, kind of. I definitely can't say for sure if it was after the fall, um, probably during, probably during, right. at a time where they knew something was definitely wrong. I know there was a lot of Draco invasions that took mm-hmm. place at that time that um, things were definitely starting to um, go bad. There was an ascended master group um, in the Lemurian time called the Ionis and the Yanas. And these were the ones that um, I think it would have been these groups that would have been given the crystal skulls, to be honest with you. These were the most pure souls of the Lemurian time, the most highest ascended fifth dimensional souls that existed there. And um, so it, it had to have been in, in a time where all of this was really, where they knew that the invasion was coming and that right. there's like no more time to lose type of thing. Um, similarly to when the conquistadors invaded the Incans and they had the Kiros that went up into the mountains to keep all of the sacred knowledge and wisdom pure, um, and the Andean mountains, I think that's probably similar to what probably happened at that time. I see. Um, yeah. And, and also the, so is that, are you from, you're, I'm sure you're connected and familiar with Telos and the whole, uh, uh, that story and Adama and council of 13 and um yeah shambhala like that that lineage you think um they could potentially be descendants of that yeah oh okay they would they are the descendants of of that lineage in a sense yeah yeah potentially because i think um that timeline was more lemurian based right um i guess we are talking about lemuria i was kind of yeah I'm traveling timelines. I'm going into Moo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It could have all been connected to those those lines and lineages, definitely. Okay. Okay. So. We have uh, Tony has his hand up. Let's uh, go ahead with your question. Hi. Hi, Ruben. Hi, everybody. Uh, hi, hey there. Angel. Thank- yes. Hi. Thank you so much for just, you know, it's just crazy how expansive. You know, everybody is and the role, um, you know, I've never heard of you in the angel, but I'm just like, so like immersed in all the knowledge that, that you've been given. Um, uh, it's amazing. Um, how can somebody find out like what indigo, I guess, type you are? Is it, is, is it through you? Like, do you do channelings or, um, yeah. So how can I find out, for example, which indigo type? Uh- well, yeah, I'm actually about to put an article out on my website, um, Indigo Angel 2 I've written about it in my blogs, most definitely, more extensively. Um, you can also, I think it's just about learning about the types. Um, you can learn about them on ascensionglossary.com, ascensiondictionary.com. Um, those are just some spots that have a lot of the terms and definitions that you can read up about it and be able to... Um, determine what indigo type that you are. Um, which one do you feel? Did you hear me describing each one of them when I was speaking earlier? 
Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm a grid worker, uh, but I think uh, like maybe the healer, and then the other, I forget which one. Like uh, the first, like the first type. It's either the first or the last type. I can't remember. Uh, An indigo type two or three. Um, I think a lot of it also oh, one plays or, upon. One or three. I think it also plays upon your star lineage and your incarnations as well. So. Um, that's one thing that I also do is pull starseed origins. So where are your origins? Where did you incarnate from? You know, it, there is kind of a typical um, encryption that I think that follows. Like indigo type threes are a lot of times from the Orion system um, or carrying, you know, huge Syrian backgrounds um, because they um had a lot to do with the seeding of Atlantis. So therefore they're carrying more Atlantean karma. Um, and so it will kind of fuel the underlying indigo templating. Um, I would say that the indigo type ones really have, um, I think they're tied into a lot more of more the ancient, ancient systems. So Lyran systems, um, Hydra systems, which Ruben, I think you're a Hydra because I was looking at your birthday, July 17th, 19th, 19th. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Might be a, might be a Hydra. Um, Hydra. Okay. Uh -huh. I'd have to pull it for sure to know the degrees, but, um, the, um, the Cygnus systems, they had the oldest indigo templates in the Cygnus systems. Um, so there's just particular origins that would also, I think, kind of be very telling. And I could tell you that if you were to do a starseed origin reading with me, I always give the indigo type for people. Yeah. God, I, I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would love to. I, I, was, I, I was recently told about four months ago, um, I don't know if she's heard of the Antari system. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I was told I, I may be like one of the gatekeepers of the Antares system because I connect with the mantis beings, the mantis, um, like the praying mantis. So I don't know if that, ha if that gives you a clue, um, on yeah, like yeah, what definitely. Well, yeah, um, the Antares system, they are milit they're, they're military, galactic military. They're, um, oh. like the chiefs of the cosmos and they are, um, kind of like the, uh, like the head of the military. So they would they would take the Centaurian uh, military forces into battle on, on cosmic battle. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely um, a, a royal star. Um, it is really ruled by the Archangel Uriel and is, um, I think they have seraphim soul monadic connections as well. Um, but yeah, definitely insectoid, um, arachnid. I mean, it's the heart of the scorpion. Um, I would say it could give clear indicators indigo type three as you would be more, um, um, inclined to have to take on those particular types of missions and roles that would be more geared towards rescue missions and, um, just transmuting polarity and duality for the collective. Wow, amazing. And it's so funny to say seraphim because like for the longest time, um, I just resonated with the word seraphim and and uh, and, 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 I, and I remember right now that you mentioned earlier and just like like there was a big light bulb, but I don't know much about seraphims apart from like a few Bible things I think it was. Um, okay, uh, you have a website, I'm assuming like we can contact you uh, via the website. 
Tyler. Yeah, I'll, I'll be putting all the website stuff in uh, in the in below the the this video and okay, contacts awesome. and stuff. Yep. Well, thank you so so much. I mean, I have a million questions, but I want to keep it. For, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't want to take over the time. So I really appreciate. I'm doing the hand uh, the prayers test. Well, the one hand is <laughs> rolling the phone with me. So thank you for um, like honestly, thank you for just following your heart. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be here to you know. Um, and it says illuminate all of us in the world. And yes, so thank you. Uh, thank thank you, you so much. It Thanks, Tony. Thank all right. Um, let's see who's next here. Gina, you, you have your hand up. Hello. 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 Hi. I'm brand new to the community and this is my first introduction to you in the go. And um, as you were going through the types, as soon as you started explaining what the type three is, I, I started weeping. And that's a clear indication to me. That's my intuition telling me that's that's pay attention. <laughs> this is you. And I was told a few years back that I, I had a soul, a soul purpose reading. And it was very clearly told that that to do now is to integrate the dark and the light and mm -hmm. it all made absolute sense to me immediately and uh, you know i know that without the darkness we have no light and everything that yeah. you said resonated there were so many things i just kept going wow 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 with your wisdom your knowledge your intuition i have a million questions for you just like tony said this when you started talking about the flower of life, and then I kept noticing as you were talking that you have tattoos on your fingers, as do I, and one of my tattoos is the flower of life. I was directed to have the tattoos that I have. The, uh, another is Gaia, and so on the same hand, Gaia is my instruction to me to stay connected to Earth. So I want to learn more about the flower of life. Oh. How how do you how do you get all of your information? Yeah, good question. Um, an insatiable thirst and quest for knowledge that just drives me into three a.m. in the morning. Um, yeah, I I um through my awakening through my ascension, I became so quantum in my experiences that I kept searching for things that would define that. Um, one of the things that I really spent a long time studying was Kalantic sciences, which is the um, study of the bio-spiritual mechanisms of our energy field. Um, I think it's one of the most advanced sciences that you can study uh, in terms of understanding our light body field it really breaks it down into like all of the different levels and layers from our chakra system to our geometry templating to our axial tone lines to our meiotic and diodotic points in the body which it's much more extensive than people really realize i think when people awaken to their spirituality they immerse themselves into the chakra systems and, and understanding that but maybe not explore it much further i was so driven to 
go as deep and as quantum as I possibly could because my experiences that I was having were really, I mean, I walked around for two years and didn't believe I was a human anymore. Like I thought I was an extraterrestrial. Like I truly believe that. And it was really separating me from having any sort of interpersonal relationships with people that didn't really freak people out. Um, So I had to keep just searching and searching for things that would help me define what I was experiencing. Um, And I just kept researching all kinds of great minds, all kinds of great works, literature. I began writing. I began channeling. Um, I mean, I think writing now is my greatest thing that I do. I constantly write. I mean, every single video I put out, every single thing I do, I've probably written 120 pages of something that I've channeled and interpreted and studied and just committed myself to that topic for hours and hours. Um, And so it's just from doing that over and over and over and over again for years and years and years and just continually upgrading my knowledge. Um, I keep getting told and shown that light is knowledge. The way we communicate language through our vocabulary if we can continue to upgrade that and continue to be able to define and create new realms, new worlds, new passageways into new ideas that people can then see and feel into it and you can bring them through into those worlds, then that is anchoring the cosmic realms here. That is anchoring galactic consciousness on earth. And it's all about upgrading people and, um, helping them expand their consciousness field too so i'm just fully dedicated i'm i try to be as humble as possible i don't like to hold myself as like a guru or i even get nervous when i hear those words because it's just um i also keep being shown that it's just to stay humble and uh just be as authentic and as genuine as you can and i think you keep building your family and you keep building the people that are meant to hear your messages and connect into your work as you do that and um so if you're activated by this and you feel called to this work then there's something in you as well that is connected to these missions and this guardianship this is really about guardianship i mean all of us here today i mean we are all guardians of what is sacred and of this earth how did you, because I've, I've gone through that process, uh, it started for me three and a half years ago when my, my son transcended to light. He was, uh, he was my son for 23 years, and he lived in a body that never moved himself, and he never spoke words. So I had 23 years training of speaking telepathically. So when he transcended to light, I was... I was privileged to share in that experience with him. And so since that time, I've astral traveled with him multiple times to multiple star systems. There are just so many things that I know. And I went into a three-year deep dive into myself and complete solitude because when he left, everything else in my world left too. And so I'm trying now to to come back into community with other human beings and that seems to be when you talked about this bridge you know spending so much time in that darkness and spending so much time learning about 
all of these otherworldly things. Now, how do you come back and embody and, and reintegrate and be in community? Even this, just having this conversation with people on Zoom, it's 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 as real as we got right now, right? But it, it's very real. So how do you, how did you learn to harmonize that your your time of three o'clock in the morning and then your time sharing and languaging what you learn because all of this stuff is so hard to language, right? But you do it beautifully. Yeah, practice, 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 practice. <laughs> Um, really, I mean, um, believing in yourself, putting yourself up on that pedestal because no one else is going to do it. No one else is going to give you this baby to birth. You have to go through the pains of birthing it yourself. Um, writing, rewriting, um, that I think writing for me, that's just, that's the fabric of it, but just constantly grounding, constantly anchoring it, um, constantly pushing yourself into what challenges you, um, you know, like if it doesn't challenge you and if you don't face your fears, you're never, ever going to get past them. Um, so it's a lot of putting yourself out there and, you know, um, just, Keep believing in yourself, like I said, and um, also really taking the time to develop yourself more if necessary. You know, if there's more healing that needs to go into that, um, if you need to take time to really grieve the experiences from the loss and things like that, um, really just trusting in your processes of what your intuition, connecting to your higher self. Um, and just really recognize what your inner voice, your inner guidance is telling you to do and just make that your priority every single day. Um, yeah. Sorry. Appreciate the connection with you and, and with you, Ruben. I, I actually own property in Belize and oh, I, I have right. been to Ruben too. Oh, Wow. I know Mayan people, so I want to talk to you more about that. Let's talk. Uh, you know, everybody's got a little piece of the puzzle and the story. So, oh, and her her take on the Mayan grandmothers—that's that's a whole other lane of fascination. I'm going to go down. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. Um, well, uh, one more time, Indigo. What was the name of the modality that you said you were studying? that really helped you dive deep? Kalantic science. Kalantic science. Okay, sweet. Mm -hmm. All right. Anna Perina, you have your hand up. Hi there. Um, hi, everybody. So nice Hello. to see you on a Monday. Yay. Yeah, we had a nice turnout today for Monday. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> to start the week. Hold on. Right. Um, Indigo Angel is so, I just, I just uh, joined you on Instagram. Um, so, so nice to meet you. So um, really resonated with the type two indigo. Um, years ago, I was reading a book uh, regarding indigos in regards to my son, who's going to be 27 this year, and realized that um, their timeline or their date was the, the date 
I was born, which was 1967. So I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. I started reading the book for myself because uh, I, I really feel like I was sort of dropped in. Um, I just listened to Wendy Kennedy's interview and that really resonated with dropping into a family that was like so unlike me that it just didn't make any sense why I was there. Um, anyway, fast forward, I recently started channeling uh, a collective from um, Hadar, so the Hadarian. And I found out, not from them, but just from doing research, that they're from Beta Centauri. My question is, um, I'm really, really working with some nervous system issues and reading about possibly being a starseed from that area. There was a lot of narratives of enslavement. Um, I feel, wow, getting emotional too. Woo! So really feeling a lot of suppression and dealing with fear. Um, it's okay. We're, we're sitting with you. Thanks. I know that I'm supposed to be doing work and I'm, I'm doing so much right now. I'm taking a bunch of courses. Um, with Mind Valley, trying to work with my mind. I've been doing meditation for years, but I'm really trying to step up into a different level of relating to myself. Um, but there is there is so many narratives. It's like I, I get to one narrative, clear it, and there's like a dozen more. And I feel as if I'm clearing this lineage from from Hadar they from my understanding we are really heart-centered and this is a really hard place to be that heart-centered yeah um yeah I can really relate to that um and one thing that I would maybe suggest is maybe doing some deep chakra clearing work um one thing that I do offer um, on my website and that I do personal sessions is the 13-dimensional chakra clearing. And it's where um, we would interactively go up into your higher dimensional fields. Um, we can connect in on a celestial level and see, you know, what is held there in those fields in terms of um, what type of soul contracts, um, what kind of um, past existences and lifetimes that there might be memory or some sort of hooks or even implants or even seals capping you in some way. Um, we would really work down through into the 12th dimensional field, um, make sure your vertical ascension column is clear, uh, work into the ancestral parts of your field as well. You know, what's being held ancestrally, paternal and maternal, and just work to really alchemize and transmute. A lot of that can be from feeling separated from your own soul aspects, right? You feel like maybe there's parts of you that are fragmented or parts of you that are just not wholesome. Um, and that's really what this process is 
of awakening ascension is. It's about um, reclaiming our fragmented and um, hijacked and even siphoned aspects of our spirit bodies um, and, you know, reclaiming that sovereignty, that freedom, um, working through your lower chakras as well. I mean, a lot of that fear is held down and, you know, your root, your sacral, your solar plexus chakra. I've been you know, working or- with that one. I, I've done chakra work for years and yeah. that's the one that's come up recently is, is solar play. I'm just, there's like, I feel like I've been siphoned. I mean, I've been doing energy work for 30 years and yet I feel like my solar plexus is probably the one that I'm working with the most right now, keeping that energy. And I think it's, um, it's frustrating because I, I want to do this work. I want to expand and um, I'm even wondering if this is the right. And I was going to ask you about cartography as well. Just, you know, where am I supposed to be? Is it here it, on the central coast or, or am I, is that part of the problem? Well, I think one thing to remember is our energy body, our seventh dimensional chakra system, we always have to come back to that no matter like how evolved we are, no matter how much work we've done, we have to come back to the basics all the time, grounding, recentering, coming back to the zero point field. Um, it's just, it's nonstop work. Um, one thing that I was kind of picking up you were talking is that, have you ever had J-steel removal or um, seal or implant removal? That that could be something that's going on, especially with the slavery things you're telling me. Um, there could be binding around your core template. There could be shackles, chains, cording, um, all in your core system. So um, doing universal tree of life clearings can also help unbind those types of things that come down through the genetics, come down through our past lives, come down through um, something that could be some form of a predispositional genetic or even contract thing that's come down so that's where like my work comes in when I work one-on-one with people is helping people to identify and find those things so that way they can be ultimately dissolved um uplifted healed um and also strengthening your shields your spiritual shields so right now your shields are down right so you're being more affected more impacted um, and and the shields can get weakened from so many different things. Um, but becoming aware of what weakens your shields so that way you can keep them strong. Um, you probably um, are probably an indigo type three, just kind of gathering what I'm hearing that you're kind of maybe in between realms, right? So there's a lot of polarity integration. There's a lot of duality integration. Um, and so that could be you um, being pushed to step into those missions and to take on those roles as well as a way show or as a guide, someone who can come in and um, understand what it is in the dimensions that you're working with. So that way you can clear that energy and then also teach and show others how to do it. Cause I think that's ultimately what you're becoming. Um, but heart consciousness expansion is difficult it comes in waves we're constantly ascending and descending we're not always holding an ascended state um yeah and it's a lot to work through (laughs) yeah my business is called awakening to harmony and i'm like yeah that's what i'm trying to do 
I think the singing is when I feel strongest, when I'm, when I'm doing, when I'm really in my heart and I'm, I'm doing that singing. But, um, I think that's been really helpful. Um, thank you. Yeah, of course. You're welcome. Thank you for talking with us and sharing yeah, with us. And being vulnerable. Pretty, um, uh, thank you for, for being vulnerable with us here. So we, we're sending this important love. Thank you. Uh, Charmaine. Hi. Yes. Um, nice to meet you. Thank you for, uh, sharing on this call. Uh, I have two questions, um, and hello to everyone out there too, but, um, I have two questions. One's really quick and I'm sure you'll just be able, it'll, there's a simple explanation. Um, and I'll ask my second one, uh, two right after, but the first one is the idea of, um, an indigo type. I was curious if you, there could be, you could be two types because, given that we have DNA from all different planetary systems. Um, excuse me. I know for me, I resonate with different different systems. Um, and then that my second question, uh, which really struck me, I've never heard of this idea of sacred geometry having um, there being like a dark side to it. Or um, um, you spoke of the entropic flower of life uh, and i i use sacred geometry all the time i'm an artist i'm an art psychotherapist um i'm fascinated by how uh where science meets uh spirituality and in my um processes i've really felt a shift in the neuropathways in my brain um when i'm creating sacred geometry and that portals are actually opening and uh, somatically, what I've felt when I create those two circles around the flower of life, there's such a safety and a containment. Um, so I'm not sure if that's maybe that's just part of my story, right? Or or uh, um, uh, what life has taught me so far that it feels good to be contained and it feels good to have boundaries. Um, but maybe you can elaborate on that. I'm really fascinated by that idea. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of like with however you're using it in your spiritual practices, right? So, I mean, if you're using sacred geometry in your spiritual practices that aren't connected to manipulative agendas, then, I mean, you're not working with what is associated to that in terms of these more collective distorted perceptions of things or fallen perceptions of things or um, so... Um, I kind of like to tell people that too, because I always get the question like, should I or shouldn't I work with Metatron? Um, and it's kind of like, well, do what feels most natural and intuitive to you. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's all about your gnosis and your connection to source. Um, there's a lot of hearsay. There's a lot of manipulation. There's a lot of agendas. There's a lot of um, inception and just things that, you know, might not even be a part of your soul signature and what you came here to do. Um, you could have a completely different mission that has something to do with the expansion of geometry and redefining the definition of geometry. Um, so a lot of the things that I'm speaking of are held within particular belief systems and held within um, particular conceptions that have been channeled by particular teachers and um, you know, other way showers that have brought some of this information forward. We talked about Ashiana Dean and Lisa Renee, like um, this comes through a lot of um, their work. 
Um, so it's, it's really, um, just stay true to your own gnosis when it comes to it. Um, when I'm looking at the geometry, um, and it holding shadow aspects, I think what it's trying to define is anything that has angulation, anything that has, um, a point can cast shadow. So this is kind of what we work with as we are working within geometry to define structure and to define matter and what can um, be perceived within matter and within structure. And so anything on earth that exists within a 3D perspective is going to cast shadow. So that just shows us how much we're working directly and indirectly with the shadow realms that it's such a deep part of our subconscious and unconscious of how we are constantly um, integrating those realms and working with the angulation of it. Um, I think when you look at the differentiation between the Metatronic flower of death and what they call the crystal lotus flower of life, it's just trying to define one that's an open source system and one that might define a closed source system that has the capacity to actually implode upon itself because it's not open. Um, so, yeah, and um, this really has to do, again, I think, with the imposter versions of spirituality and trying to define where corruption ultimately came in and incepted humanity. And it is a lot of pointing the fingers. It is a lot of the blame game and not taking a lot of responsibility for our own spiritual evolution here on this earth. I totally get that. Um, but um, these are just concepts that are here. And so I think it's good for us to talk through them and, and work through them so we can gain more clarity. Um, how do you guys feel about, how do you feel about that? Well, it's interesting. As you were saying that, what was coming up for me was, um, and let me know if, if this is kind of underneath what you're saying, but there's tools out there that could be used for good and bad like the tarot, right? Like I've always worked with the tarot, but there's something super shadowy and uncomfortable for me with working with that. Um, and even the work of Aleister Crowley, like that guy freaks me out and I don't know why or what, but um, it's like he was using tools that we all have access to in a really dark way. So is that kind of what you're saying with like this metatronic flower of death? I'm like, what? I've never, yeah. mind blown. I've never even heard of that. So um, is that kind of what you're touching on? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, the same things that the light used, the dark has also taken and used and distorted it as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's about trying to define when and where they've distorted things and how they're utilizing the spiritual technologies to basically pull humanity into the fallen systems. I mean, they don't want the 500 million indigos that are already here on this earth to rise up into their empowerment because the game would be over with. Um, this is all about control. It's all about manipulation. It's all about reincarnation, harvesting, keeping people in these loop cycles of reincarnation, never being able to transcend the system, um, harvesting their energy, feeding off of their energy um 
turning us into cyborg transhumanism, disconnecting us from the organic systems, can, disconnecting us from our spiritual planetary spiritual immune system, you know, all of these things, um, making genetically modified humans. I mean, it's all corruption, corporation. It's all about um, farming humans. You know, um, it's a big business <laughs> and it's taking over the world. And um, so, yeah, I I feel like these, this information is here for us to try to see where inception occurred and to um, rehabilitate other indigos, help them get their ascension codes up and um, ultimately get us all in mission base, which is to bring forth the new earth and the future prophecies of earth, which in the future prophecies, you know, none of this really exists Anyways, all of these things are going to be transcended and dissolved. It's what I was looking at that um, uh, Daisy of Death. I was actually looking at it before I came in, and I'm like, you know what? This is probably the geometry of a wormhole. You know, it's just the inversion ratio of an expanding energy source. What is that? That's a wormhole. Um, and so I think there are multiple wormholes all over the Earth system that have been created. Um, there's one in Anishmore, Ireland. Um, there's one at the Bermuda Triangle. I think the Statue of Liberty might also be a wormhole. The Atlantic Ocean in itself has a wormhole network that's running, and that came through the, you know, the karmic inception of what happened in Atlantis. Um, that was actually upheld on an entirely different grid structure than what the Lemurian timeline was upheld upon. Again, goes back to planetary and celestial lunar warfare. Um, and so, yes, we have a lot to address when it comes to what has been done. And I think that's even maybe what my role is in all of this. I mean, I'm running around extracting implants and doing crazy stuff. I mean, extracting entities. I mean, I'm, I'm here cleaning up messes. You know, um, that's all I'm doing 24-7 trying to restore, trying to regenerate, trying to plug back things into what is pure. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of corruption for sure. But I, I think, um, it's coming to light more and more. We're getting to see more of these things. Thank you yeah. for your work. It's important. Yeah, Charmaine, yesterday during the, uh, uh, at the Integratron, I went to Eric Rankin's, um, sonic geometry class. And we were talking about um, the vector equilibrium, uh, which is a hexagonal shape, and then the um, uh, how the curvature of like the flower of life, the sixty degree curvature for each one, and now there's no straight lines. Um, and when you go down that path, you see that the, it's just it's infinite and it's an expansion uh, when you. Um, start connecting the dots without the straight lines, right? When you take out the Metatronic uh, cube and you take out the circles and the, and the triangles and the squares, it's just this 60 degree curvature that goes on an infinity. So uh, fascinating stuff. I, you know, I definitely, it's nice to have this conversation with, with Indigo here and, and, and talk about these um, concepts because maybe Maybe there's something that it's not something I think to be fearful of or anything, but just something we didn't even think about before. It's like, oh, wait a minute, there is this 
this sort of encapsulation or limitation put around it. When you look at the toroidal field in the um, uh, the the infinite, what is it? I forget the name of it, but it's basically uh, uh, sort of the the natural, the the cymatic flower of life that that goes on for infinity. Are you calling it the cosmic flower of life? What do you do? In the, oh, I was you... calling it the uh, crystal lotus flower of life. Crystal lotus flower of life. Yeah. Okay, that that basically just goes it just in infinity of 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 the the sixty degree angles of of um, the flower petals, right? They'll just just it's all expansive. So yeah. I these think are... one is defining like the flow of energy, mm -hmm. like like energy that emanates from the core of the earth is in spheres it comes out in spheres and it comes right. out in spirals right. so yep. that's depicting the natural and organic flow of energy versus the daisy of death which is depicting a more frozen version of energy in the 3d that's holding opposition that's holding shadow and it's holding angulation right so i almost think you could even take different versions of the flower life like let's say the crystal lotus is a 12th dimensional flower of life. Well, as you bring it down in dimensions, we're getting to that structure right. of, of the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's, it's fun. It's, I mean, these are all great concepts and, and ideas to play with. Like you said, bring them to awareness. So as we go down our uh, studies and our explorations, it's not absolute truth, but it's something there that we could navigate and, and, and inform. So, uh, thank you for for your work in the geometry and the mm -hmm. and Charmaine too. I know I'm, your work too is is super powerful in the in the geometry. Um, Kate, good to hi, see your hand you... up. Yeah, we can hear you. Hi, hi, hi. Indigo, can you tell us more about your saying about implants in the womb? Is that? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, one thing that I've talked about on my channel is I'm a survivor of the forest breeder programs. Um, and this is really um, for those that I think are descendants of the goddess Isis and the Mary Magdalene bloodlines, um, you know, descendants of the, the true Yanas, the ascended uh, masters of the the Lemurian time um, because what happened in that time is there was a great holocaust and um, these beings, these tribes were um, basically separated from their fifth dimensional counterparts, their, their true soulmates and the women were taken to Nibiru and taken to forced breeder camps and basically forced to mate with Nephilims and forced to um, mate with studs during, you know, times of slavery. This happened a lot to the Irish women and also to the women of West Africa during the Atlantic slave trades. Um, it really comes down to breeding um, in, in slavery, um, which is where all is the basis of all reptilian programs on this planet and how we have occurred or acquired so much hybridization trauma. Um, on this earth um so when it comes to what i've designed for woman implant removal um it's to do a lemurian regression where i take them back into that time 
um, identify what implants and hooks that they would, would have been carrying if they were a part of the forest breeder programs. If they were, a lot of times they'll have um, energetic harnesses on their shoulders, on their chest, on their back. They'll also have hooks on the shoulders and chains that go up to the moon. They're called moon chains. Um, and it's because they're forced to breed and bring in those lower reptilian souls and imposters and refugee races to incarnate here on the earth. Um, there is also other implants in the womb, such as Fleur de Lis imprints and implants that came down through a superimposition on the Merovingian bloodline. So this comes down through a lot of um, French, France, European, Indo-European bloodlines that will carry these more. Um, but it's where the Christed, you know, bloodline was superimposed. This really came down also through a lot of the king lines, the monarchy lines, and things like this, that they um took these contracts to basically hold the Fleur de Lis imprint in the womb, which caps the dimensional um expression of the being that can incarnate. So bringing in lower forms of souls, basically. So um, what I do in that implant removal is just kind of identify, and there's a lot more types of implants that women can be carrying. I mean, there could be past lives with chastity belts. There could be um, past lives with all kinds of different um, distortions and, and things that have happened that um, you're still carrying the energetic imprints to those. So basically, we go in and we remove them. We clean up the field. We do Stargate repair, which is um, womb repair. And, um, and sometimes it can just be things like sexual misery tags, incest tags, empath narcissist tags, you know, um, rape and molestation tags. I mean, this is hardcore healing work, really addressing the ugly of the ugliest within what women have had to endure and both men as well. I mean, a lot of these tags are shared between men and women. Um, I just haven't designed... A sexual healing session for men yet but um so do you think most women do you think most women are carrying these kind of imprints um a lot of women are not all women do identify with this um but i would say a good majority of women do to some mm -hmm. degree yeah I don't know if you saw it in the chat. I live in central London, right by the palaces, Buckingham Palace and Kensington Palace, and I clear the ley lines around here. So I just took you. You just came with me and I just walked the ley line from Kensington Palace and you helped me to clear it just now. Wow, thank you for bringing me into that. That was um, amazing. It's where, definitely... it's, where, it's where they kept Princess Diana. Interesting that's coming up. Princess Diana is an example of someone who was run through the forest breeder programs. Yeah. Well, you just helped to clear that energy. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, Happy keep, to be part of that. Keep doing that work, Kate. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. We have Tony, you have one. Uh, you want to jump in with another question? Uh, yes, hi. Um, so um, just back to Charmaine when she was mentioning the um, like the flower of life and the other, like the shadow of it. Um, like what you were trying to say, I think, and I'm not sure if this is like the right kind of like perception, 
like what you're saying is because we're, we're on this 3D earth where there's dark and light in a sense, we cannot, in a sense, um, like invalidate the fact that everything has like the other opposite spectrum, right? Is that what you're kind of speaking about? Yeah, that, that um, Right. But as we rise, yeah. then you kind of focus more on um, like on the light aspect, like without invalidating, like still that there is like a dark aspect of everything of all that is because otherwise then you're only living in like a one reality and you're not accepting all that is, which is that whole spectrum. Yeah, exactly. And like very, okay. You said that thank, perfectly. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Thanks. Tony. <laughs> sure. Sure. All right. Uh, and Sophia, you have your hand up. Hi, um, I just wanted to ask quickly, just because it's so funny, I was looking at this stuff today about the moon and working with the moon or not working with the moon and, and what it is and what it represents. And I had my astrology teacher telling me to tap in being a cancer rising, that I should be paying a lot of attention to the moon and how it affects me. And then going through um, the template stuff, you know, like Juliet and Jiva um, Carter, do you know? They would do a lot of sacred geometry energetic work, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Um, and of course they hold very similar opinions about the moon being, you know, not such a positive entity and how it came in and all that kind of stuff. So I was just curious to know, how do you choose to like, work with or not work with the moon now at this point in time, knowing what you know? Um, I would say I've probably stopped working with the moon. Um, I just hold the space of neutrality, honestly, towards it. Um, I try not to judge it. I try to just observe it and take note of what I think is going on, what I feel is going on. Um, I, I do feel at the core that the moon has so much to do with our celestial seedings here. I do know that many races and beings are utilizing the moon for incarnation, whether it's artificial or whether it's AI. If you've seen the movie Moonfall, I think Moonfall, I think it's a movie on Netflix, but it's kind of a good depiction of what potentially the inside of the moon looks like and how it's actually this organic artificial intelligence. Um, and that it's has a lot to do with um, uh, the advancement of intelligence and the evolution of humanity here on Earth. Um, I would say that, yeah, just try to just try to stay neutral to it as best as you possibly can. I think that's probably the best way to approach it. Um, because if you go too far into something as as a belief, then again you're closing yourself off to other possibilities and potentials. And um, but yeah, I do think the moon is used for incarnation. Um, the book, the celestial book that I wrote with the starseed akashic origins and the methodology that I brought forth, um, I talk about how um the race morphogenetic field of the planet is, you know, according to the Earth's synergistic relationship with the moon, our electromagnetic field, all of that is um, how races are speeding here into this Earth. So, I mean, if you think about when we're ovulating or when we're, 
you know, um, going through our uh, menses and our cycles, you know, if you were to bring a baby in, you know, all of that is coming in through the moon. So the moon is like a transport. It's definitely how souls are utilizing that to come into the womb and to the womb worlds. So it's definitely a part of these networks that we we utilize. Um, I've also heard that the moon is um, viral and the reason why we even have placentas and have the capacity to have our reproductive cycles is through a viral mutation that occurred however many years ago on this planet. So I mean, like the theories just keep coming, but um, yeah, just uh, I wouldn't fear anything. Don't fear anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think that's the, the conclusion I'd come to by the end of the afternoon. I was like, right, stay as each, like you said, as possible and just see how, uh, yeah. And just leave it at that and just see what does. I think the- a lot of, honestly, I think a lot of the shadow aspects of it come from the core of creation. Like how, when it goes back to Tima, it goes back to Marduk, Maldek, Nibiru, like, it comes back to that because it was a lunar celestial battle. So all of our shadow is cellularly, historically, and through our memory is imprinted with our relationship with the moon, whether it's organic or artificial. So I think it holds the core of the fear bodies, of the shadow bodies, um, the lunar matrices, the Saturn moon matrices, the black cube energy you know, all of that. It's, it, it, it's the um, depth of our subconscious, right? The deepest shadows of our subconscious and our unconscious mind and all of these parts of ourselves that are really, really unknown and are fearful to explore. So I think it's so reflective of that. And that's why it brings up so much uncertainty. Um, But yeah, ultimately, I think we're going to be working with the moon for some quite some time to come. Um, what I've seen in the future prophecies is that the moon will be evolving with us um, like 200 years in the future, um, that Earth will continue to go on her ascension processes in terms of anchoring the new light grid matrices in the Earth. And that a lot of this misconception and a lot of this um, distortion will ultimately be dissolved because um, we will come into the time of the new age and the golden age is as prophesized and predicted fully and that a lot of this stuff will completely dissolve thank you awesome thank you um thanks sophia uh, well, we have come, sort of come up on our time here and there's so many more avenues you just brought up you're like I'd be like, oh, the new earth, that's a whole subject we didn't even uh, get into. Maybe that's something we can get into next time. But uh, it's a big topic here uh, in, in this portal is is what can we do um, in our physical reality now that helps uh, ground in and build these frequencies um, for, for laying down the foundation, the energetic foundations. And I think uh, you know, your work is, is key and, you know, doing, doing this energy work, the grid lines, the, uh, releasing of the traumas and, uh, just everything you're doing is, is so awesome in, uh, 
the creation and helping move the creation of the new earth along. So um, thank you for sharing all this awesome wisdom and information. And thanks again at the very end. I was perfect with Sophia and 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 how you said um all of this information, there's you know, two sides to everything. It's all about neutrality. It's all about uh taking it in and not getting triggered and not going not uh, um ignoring the the shadow and not getting too far away from it either because it's it's about integrating the two so thank you for for that uh nugget and uh, um love to have you back on i think we could go into in more ta- tangents in different areas so uh, appreciate you this this first introduction and uh, hopefully you, we can continue the conversation yeah definitely it was a pleasure being here and it was so much fun and thank you for having me and yeah hope you all have a beautiful everything absolutely we'll we'll put your uh, contacts and everything in the in the uh description and uh thank you andy we'll we'll have you on again okay take care bye-bye thanks thanks for tuning in i hope you like this interview we actually do this every week on my membership portal page you can access it through interviewwithed.org or uh, click on the link uh, somewhere in here. I'll put a link and uh, come over and join us. You too can ask questions. Every week we have new special guests and you get to ask questions directly to the channelers and to the beans that they channel. So see you in the portal.